This talk was recorded by Insight Meditation South Bay in Mountain View, California. The speaker is Shyla Catherine. For more talks and information, visit www.imsb.org. So the title of this talk is Deep Presence. Mindfulness refers to an undistorted clarity and simplicity of awareness. It implies this undistracted quality of attention that allows us to meet experience as it is without the distortions of greed, of hate, or of selfishness. This deep knowing is not limited to the sitting posture, to stillness, or to long periods with our eyes closed in meditation. The possibilities for what we might be mindful of are vast, and the Buddhist teaching provides a rather comprehensive training using breath and sensations, thoughts, mental states, physical experiences, mental reflections, and subtle meditative experiences. Even the sublime experience of awakening can be known with mindful attention. We can be mindful of wholesome and unwholesome forces. And yet, interestingly, the state of mindfulness is always wholesome. You can practice being mindful of anything and everything, anywhere, anytime. Everything is worthy of our attention. When we observe what is happening, we know what is real. The mental, the material, the internal and external, the specific and universal, the individual and the social. The main function of mindfulness is to train the mind so that it does not wander. It's said that this mental factor of mindfulness tethers attention to the object. It's an aspect of observing, of focus. According to the Abhidhamma definitions, the Buddhist psychological system, the Pali term sati, which we translate into English as mindfulness, has the characteristic of not wobbling, not floating away from the object. Its function is the absence of confusion or the non-forgetfulness of the object, and it manifests as guardianship of both the mind and the object or as a state of confronting the objective field. It manifests as how we meet experience, confronting that objective field. And it's said that the proximate cause is firm perception. It is a pure and wholesome state of attention that's neither fixed nor stuck. When we're mindful, the mind is not obsessed. Hindrances do not preoccupy the mind. Nothing sticks. And this non-stick mind is sometimes likened to being like a Teflon pan or a non-stick surface. 
unwholesome thoughts simply don't get traction there. They cannot stand the scrutiny of mindful attention. If they arise, they pass away quickly. And so we practice noticing what's actually happening. Perhaps a moment of irritation arises or impatience. We can notice that. We can even recognize it, name it, irritation or impatience. And we might notice that once we become aware of unwholesome states, they vanish quite quickly. There's a character in the Buddhist teachings named Mara. And he's the personification of the hindrances. And it's said that whenever he arises, he arises along with the, he appears along with the hindrances. And whenever he is seen, identified, or named, he vanishes. And so there are many references to a great monastic saying, I see you, Mara. And then Mara vanishes right then and there. And you might notice that in your own mind sometime when um, anger arises. And you see it. And then suddenly the ang- you're no longer angry. Or when um, restlessness and agitation arise or fear. And you see it. And then you're no longer afraid. Or you're no longer um, agitated. When we meet our experience with mindfulness, the mindfulness often has the power to dissolve the hindrances. It is a training to be willing to turn our attention to meet the difficult experiences because our sense of self, our self-esteem, may not want to admit to the petty and ill-humored, sometimes resentful or fearful thoughts that we might sometimes harbor. But still, it's best to face them directly, to recognize them, to name them, because hindrances can only flourish in the darkness of unknowing. They'll scurry and run, something like roaches in the night, as soon as the light of mindfulness comes upon them. Probably the most pervasive obstacle to mindful attention is simply the wandering mind. And in the Udana, a verse states, Trivial thoughts, subtle thoughts, mental jerkings that follow one along. Not understanding these mental thoughts, one runs back and forth with wandering mind. But having known these mental thoughts, the ardent and mindful one restrains them. An awakened one has entirely abandoned them, these mental jerkings that follow one along. Did you find there were any mental jerkings that followed you today? The wandering mind, though, is not just about a kind of drifting, entertaining daydream or fantasy. 
There's a deeply ingrained tendency to assume we know something based upon a mere conceptual encounter. We often live with interpretations based on very superficial experiences, and then we believe our interpretations to be the truth. We imagine they will last, that those experiences will continue. People often think that whatever is happening in the present moment is going to continue into the future unchanged. Now, you may not have that as a complete and full thought, but if there's anxiety and fear building up because of an unpleasant sensation, usually the underlying thought is that this is going to last and I'll never be able to bear it. And so then we might strategize ways to save ourselves from the pain or to take advantage of a pleasant situation or to desire or try to possess something else. It might be more mindful, it might be more skillful simply to pause and to experience that as happening right now. To ask ourselves the question, can I be with this now? Not a lifetime of pain, but just a moment of pain. Not a future of spiritual success, but just this one moment of peacefulness, of calmness, of tranquility, or of rapture. You've probably all seen beautiful sunsets. Have you ever noticed yourself watching a sunset and thinking about who you will tell about it or when you'll come back to see the next one? Is it possible to just observe it as it's happening, to be fully present then and there? And then when it sets below the horizon, to let no longing dwell in the mind. Nothing will be lost because nothing was ever possessed. It really doesn't matter what the experience that we're having is like. It might be pleasant, it might be unpleasant, it might be a sunrise, it might be a sunset. We might notice something while we're moving or while we're still. It might be physical or mental phenomena. It might be something that is so mundane or incredibly spiritual. It might be a concentrated state or an embarrassing state of utter confusion. What matters isn't what the experience is. What matters is how do we relate to it? Are we able to meet it with attention, with mindfulness? Can we be present with it? Can we let the mind be still with this experience as it's happening? An Indian teacher, Srinisargadatta Maharaj, said, When you sit quiet and watch yourself, all kinds of things come to the surface. Do nothing about them. Don't react to them. As they have come, so they will go by themselves. All that matters is mindfulness, total awareness of oneself, or rather, 
of one's mind. Another obstacle to deep presence and mindful awareness is the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Our stories of self can be quite seductive because when we play out a story of who we are and how we are, when we imagine the story of our lives, we're the narrator of the film, we're the director, we're the actor, and we're the audience. We apparently have control. But do you? There's really no power in fantasy. The power is in mindful presence. It's in the here and now that we have the potential to respond wisely. When we're lost in the fantasy or, or affected by conditioned tendencies, we don't have that capacity to respond deeply, authentically, and fully to whatever is happening. It is possible to pause and connect, to respond compassionately without leaning toward a future where we plan an alleviation of compassion. Just in the way that we respond, we're there. We can let go completely of all the fantasies and fictions, all the stories that are not real, and become available to be with, to be still with this present moment. Letting go of this moment, free from interpretation and commentary, we become available for the next moment. So we allow a continuous unfolding of a flow of change, moment by moment, changing events. You may find that sometimes you wake up and you wake up right into your own experience, right into your own presence. You've come out from under the distorting influence of concepts and thoughts. And where do you find yourself? Right here, right now. John Muir wrote, All the wide world is beautiful, and it matters but little where we go. The spot where we chance to be always seems the best. As the conceptual obsessions with thoughts and stories and plans and fantasies and fears and worries when all that recedes into the background, we might find ourselves knowing very simple experiences. The sensation of warmth or coolness on the skin. The hardness of the touch of the floor. The softness or heaviness of an inhalation of air. We might experience bare attention to sensory experience, just what's happening, as it's happening, without narrative, without the story. With bare attention, experience is simple. And it's not so personal, even. It's just what it is. 
feel your seat. Just reach your hand down and touch your leg or your seat. What are you feeling? You might say, I'm feeling my leg or I'm feeling my seat. But actually, those are ideas and concepts and stories. What are you feeling? Maybe you're feeling hardness or softness, smoothness or roughness, coolness, heat, pressure. This is the dynamic encounter. This is how we're present for momentary experience. This kind of encounter with experience, as simple and as ordinary as hardness and heat and roughness might be, is vibrant, it's changing, and it's impersonal. It's beyond what we take to be my past, my present, my future. It goes beyond this construction of my making. Mindfulness is an integral feature to what I think of as deep presence. So I want to explore a little bit of what I mean by deep presence. And I think there are a number of ways to even consider the implications of the term presence. Perhaps at the most superficial level, presence could be considered a personality characteristic. You know, we, we might hear somebody say, oh, that speaker or that leader or that actor has a powerful presence. It might be a way of pointing out somebody who shines in a group, somebody who presents themselves well or demonstrates self-confidence, commands attention, or has earned respect. It could also be akin to charisma. A person with this kind of personal presence will not be afraid to speak, to share their views. Maybe, maybe you could think of it as an, the kind of the opposite of a wallflower. And some people seem to have a very large presence. When they walk in the room, you know it. And when you leave, you remember that they were there. This could be a good thing, but it could also be an oppressive or destructive force. On the good side, some charismatic people have broad and profound compassion, large hearts and profound visions for their potential to positively impact the world and others. But perhaps on the not-so-good side, charisma could be a reflection of arrogance a dominance of an assertion of self that might want to dominate a situation, a need to be seen that's based in fundamental insecurity. On the not-so-good side, charisma could imply a way of being that leverages fear or builds on the hunger for social power or feeds on vulnerabilities. Some charismatic people manipulate others to fulfill their own desires. And many people are easily manipulated because it's so, so common to, to want and to need 
the approval of others, to find belonging in a group, to rise in social rank, to gain some kind of sense of security through a social position or to gain a social privileges. These unhealthy or diluted expressions of charismatic presence are corrupted by the desire for personal power and reinforced by the diluted concepts of self. But a different way of viewing presence could be to see presence as an expression of deeply embodied mindfulness. This would be a healthy and empowering expression of presence that is wakeful, direct, that is a profound and deep personal encounter with the world. It might be simply considered embodied mindfulness. It's what we often cultivate here at Insight Meditation South Bay, and it's what we practiced throughout the day today. A third way of viewing presence could be to understand this form of mindfulness, this form of awareness, as it manifests in groups. Not just when we're sitting silently, but in interaction, in community. It may develop out of the ability to draw together the attention and the confidence of diverse people to build their trust through genuine kindness, compassion, full listening, and wise leadership. A sensitivity not only to our own sensory experience, but to bring that self-knowledge to understand and respond with empathy to the experience of others, to share the joys, the sorrows, the pains, the interests, the learnings, the delights, the struggles with others. Interestingly, in the Satipatthana Sutta, which is one of the most important discourses on insight meditation, there is a reference to teachings that include the developing of mindfulness both internally and externally. Now, we usually emphasize an internal experience of mindfulness in the meditation where we're mindful of our internal experience. But are we also mindful of the experience of others, other people, people who are external to us? This kind of social mindfulness describes a healthy engagement in community. When engaged in a group, are you there? Or are you thinking about something else? Are you really listening? Or planning what you will say? We can be attentive to notice when self-interest asserts itself or when that self-position tries to control our actions. How many things do we do in groups reinforce our status or our position? To what extent are we um, affected by fear in groups? Usually the fear is not that we'll be physically hurt, but that we may not be seen. Meetings 
of any kind are great practice times because they're times when we can be in a group. We can be in that interaction in the moment without any of the tactics that habitually exert, enforce, or protect a self-image. Think of a meeting that you attended recently. It could be a social gathering, a social meeting. It could be a work meeting, a staff meeting, a volunteer committee meeting. Remember the quality of presence there. Was there any time when you spoke or interacted in a way that was really about protecting or asserting your self-image? And consider the possibility of engaging in a meeting like that, just fully there, compassionate, mindful, alert, wise. Perhaps deep presence implies a profound quality of embodied awareness with how we are wherever that is and with whoever is with us. A quality of attention that's supported by empathy and compassion, free from the distorting influence of self-concepts. An integration of the sensitivity and mindfulness that we bring to our inner life with a compassionate and intimate encounter with others and with the world. When we're present, we don't hold ourselves removed from experience through attachment to ideologies, views, and roles. When we're present, we connect with the people with whom we share our lives, even though we might sometimes prefer solitude. Deep presence points to a thorough integration of compassion and wisdom. This is my main point. That deep presence points to a thorough integration of compassion and wisdom. A skillfulness and responsiveness that can manifest in activity and in social encounters equally, in private and in public, with our eyes opened and our eyes closed, in stillness and in activity. As such, it'll bring a balance to our lives. There's a rather overly used dichotomy between doing and being. Are you human doings or human beings? You've probably heard that question asked. Now, it's sort of cute to consider, am I a human doing or am I a human being? And it kind of makes a simplistic point. And so it has its value. But I wouldn't want to conceive of doing as being somehow inferior and worldly and then elevate being as being the privileged goal of the spiritual life. Instead, I think we must integrate the experience so that we are being with whatever it is we are doing. So that we're fully present in a dynamic relationship with anything and everything we encounter. When we are present, we might experience a deep 
inner freedom and fearlessness, not only when we sit silently and alone in meditation, but also when we work in groups. We train ourselves to be fully present with whatever happens, present with both pleasant and unpleasant experiences. We train ourselves to live in the here and now, not lost in thought, not swept up in fantasies, telling ourselves what we will become, not acting out on automatic pilot, not controlled by past conditions. We're willing to be intimate with experience, open, sensitive, awake. A primary difference between these interpretations of presence is simply the question, how do we position the self here? Does it take an important role? Does it assert itself as the central dynamic, this concept of self? Or is it simply a convention that organizes um, our energies? Presence that relies upon an approval from an audience or from an authority can easily be distorted by self-cherishing delusions. A truly profound quality of embodied presence describes the possibility of a vivid encounter with reality, a confidence that comes through wisdom, not the reinforcement of or a view of self. The mind may open naturally to this peaceful presence and open to the wonder of the moment just as it is. Usually, however, we need methods to train ourselves. We need time and commitment to develop these skills, to learn to be compassionate, to be quiet, to be still and attentive, attentive to the pleasant and the unpleasant, the spiritual and the mundane, in stillness and in activity, alone and in community. We practice not only to be skillful and aware with dramatic states of intense emotion or impressive achievements or exotic spiritual attainments, but we also attend and mostly actually attend to the subtle and momentary mind states that arise and pass away, perhaps a moment of calmness, of clarity, of tranquility, of equanimity. When we're profoundly and deeply present, we will not be bound by the brittle habits of mind. We'll trust that we can be with whatever is, whatever is happening. That's our field of mindfulness. Open to the wonder of this moment just as it is. In the Sutta Nipata, the Buddha said, Life is short, say the wise. Therefore, a person should train himself in the immediate present. Life is short, say the wise. Therefore, a person should train himself in the immediate present.
Let's have a few quiet minutes for reflection. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.